good Sunday to be here, right? There's a meal afterwards, all right? Um, that just means I can preach longer, so that way you don't have to travel anywhere. So um, I was just here last month, I feel like, so uh, I don't think there's a need for an introduction, but my name's Brandon. Um, we, uh, from our, our Bible study as part of our church, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, so that's where this sermon is born out of, is uh, this passage that I love in this, in this Gospel. Um, the, the pastor who's doing the video series we're watching, he was actually in this region filming it, so it's really cool to see the places that they are. Um, and, and to see the Sea of Galilee that he's pointing to. And uh, so it really uh, amazing information in this passage. So uh, we'll be in Mark 5, so we're going to be today. And right before Mark 5, something happens that's a pretty famous story. It's where Jesus calms the storm, right? They're, uh, in Israel, if you can picture the map, here's Israel, and then the Sea of Galilee's up here, and they're traveling eastward, which is into Gentile territories where they're heading. And the Sea of Galilee was actually known for its storms. Uh, to this day, it has fierce storms and 20-foot waves, like really crazy. So in that uh, story at the end of Mark 4, uh, they're panicking and they feel like they're about to die, understandably so, and, and Jesus calms that storm. And it, uh, verse 41, it says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So that's how we enter in chapter 5, just this marveling from the disciples about who Jesus is and his power. And I'm going to do something a little different the way we go through this, so I'm not going to read the whole section at first. We're just going to go section by section, okay? So the first little bit I'm going to read is Mark 5, 1 through 5. So uh, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So, if you can think of the Bible as this movie, okay, we're entering into the horror section of the movie, okay, where it's just this, you had the storm, and, and it's the middle of the night, they think they're going to die, and then they step out into this unknown area. I always envision it being somewhat foggy. You just can't see in front of you. And they're panning the horizon, and all of a sudden this guy pops out who's got these demons inside of him. So it would be terrifying, the situation, if you were actually here. Uh, stepping off of this boat, and it says, immediately there met them, this man with an unclean spirit. Um, I just can't imagine this guy's life, right? It says, day and night. He cries out in pain, torment. Uh, it says that no one can shackle him or bind him. He's super strong, apparently, and he just lives in the mountains, and he just constantly is bruising himself with rocks and cutting himself. So I cannot imagine living that way or what he went through in his life, right? Uh, so as we move on, Mark 5, so this is who we encounter, and Mark 5, 6 through 9, here it says, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the, of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Okay, so what, what we have going on here is, first the, the first thing I notice is, just this guy cries out to Jesus, and he actually proclaims the truth, right? Who Jesus is. 
He says, you know, what do you do, Jesus, son of the Most High God? And I always, I always tell people, I'm like, sometimes demons have better theology than people, okay? So these demons, they know who Jesus is. They know the end game. They know that they're going to be destroyed. Whenever they encounter Jesus, they'll also scream out certain things. They scream out, don't destroy us or don't torment us. So they know the end is happening. They know how it ends for them. But what's fascinating is that they still fight against God, right? They are still compelled to torment people and to try to uh, get people away from God. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by that. But here he's got perfect theology. He knows who God is, and he knows that Jesus has the power to torment him. And so Jesus asks him what his name is, and he replies with legion. At first they might seem strange, but... Uh, this area, if you remember me saying, they're traveling into pagan country, into the, the Greek-run world. Okay? Israel's technically still Greek-run at this time, but um, it is called the Decapolis region. Okay? Deca meaning ten, polis meaning city. So it's ten cities in this region that are heavily influenced by Greek culture. Uh, and a legion was a Roman term that represented 6,000 soldiers. Okay? So when Jesus asks him what his name, and he replies with legion, it just means there are many demons inside of this guy, and he chooses the word legion to describe that. Okay. Um, as we continue, so Jesus asks him his name, he replies, and then in verse 10 through 13 here he says, And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Um, so a couple questions in this story. It's very strange, right? These demons, they first of all beg Jesus to not kill them, basically, or, or send them out. Um, they say, can we go into these pigs? Again, there's, there's a, a picture of authority here. Um, Jesus is in complete authority of the situation. And again, the demons know this. They ask for permission to do anything. Right? They know they're standing before God, and they ask for permission to do this. And it says Jesus gave them permission, implying that had he not, they wouldn't have been able to do what they were wanting to do. Right? Uh, before I mention this is the, the horror movie section of the Bible, that's why I hate horror movies. Uh, they always get the theology wrong. Every time. Anytime there's demons involved, anytime there's, there's something spiritual in nature, it's always wrong. They, they never understand this part, that Jesus is in ultimate control and that they have no authority outside of him. Okay? And it's just, I can't stand it because they're not scary to me because they're always, they're, they ignore that fact. They ignore that Jesus is in ultimate control of these situations. But anyways, they asked to go into the pigs, uh, which... Again, might seem like a strange request, but you have to filter through the context of what their ultimate goal is, and that is to um, hurt people. That's the goal of demons. That's the goal of Satan. He's a murderer, right? Jesus said in John 8 that he was a murderer from the beginning, and that's his goal. And so uh, John Calvin, I, I read his commentary on this, and he has an amazing quote. He says, The demons have such a rage for mischief and they are always like lions in search of prey. They are grieved at having no one to torment. Remember, they said, don't send us out. Let us go somewhere in here. 
Um, and so you, you view that picture, it kind of turns the way you, that you view this situation. Now they want to go and inflict more harm on people. And how is that done? Well, uh, they wanted to be sent to the pigs as part of a mischief against God, number one. But then they wanted to inflict as much damage on the people as possible. You see, again, we're in Gentile country, so pigs are allowed. That's a, a huge profit for people. It says there's 2,000 pigs there, so a huge, substantial amount of money was just lost. Um, and again, it's to inflict harm on this group of people rather than let them enjoy the blessing of who Jesus was and that he's there teaching. They want to inflict harm. Um, and again, the, the, the number one way that Satan, or again, demons in this case, inflict harm on people is by destroying their possessions. Okay? Think back to the book of Job. What was the first thing that, that Satan asked to do to Job? Take away his property. And he said, God, if you take away his property, he will curse you to your face. Okay? And, and that's the first act, uh, or attack, I should say, against people usually is taking away their possessions. Because it's just an easy attack, and most of the time, especially for non-believers, their treasure is in what they own. Right. So these people, their, their treasure or their property was destroyed. So it is an act of war here that we see, uh, but I think sometimes we forget that that's actually what's going on. And, and for some reason, we, we tend to not make the demons the bad guys in this situation. Uh, and in our Bible study, we were talking about this passage, and um, it's actually my cousin who said this. She's in our Bible study. She was concerned about the pigs. You know, she said, that doesn't seem fair to the pigs. I was like, that, that may be true. It's not very fair to the pigs. But I was like, you have to understand this was, this was an act of aggression against God and that it was the demons who did this. They're the ones who went into the pigs and caused them to be drowned, right? Um, so just always remember that. There's a villain here in this story, and it's not God. It's not Jesus. It's the demons here in this case, okay? Um, as we continue on, Mark five fourteen, something interesting happens here. The herdsmen fled as they saw this occur, and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And they begged, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So, this is one of those sad verses in Scripture where you, you read this and you, you just almost get heartbroken. Where it's, you're standing a foot from God, seeing him face to face, and they begged him to leave because of what had just happened. Again, this wasn't Jesus doing it. He didn't allow it. I'm not going to argue that. But they, they begged him to leave, to get out. I can't imagine, like I said, what, what they're thinking because... It's probably terrifying. Like I said, this is all occurring mostly probably at night or twilight right before um, sunrise. But we, we see this picture of they're, they're terrified. They've just lost all this money, and they're angry almost, and they, they force Jesus to leave. But, again, this, this plays perfectly into that plan, like I was saying, where if they want to have people reject God, it's working. Right? That's exactly what happened here. They, they, they leave, they come back, and then they're, just leave, Jesus. We don't want you here. Instead of rejoicing at what has occurred, just think about that. So they, they're aware of this man who had been demon-possessed. No one could bind him. With, they probably stayed away from this area. And they come, and they see him clothed, 
in his right mind, listening to someone teaching. And instead of rejoicing at that fact, they immediately go to, get out of here. We don't want you here. They don't marvel at the new creation that has just occurred here, but they are instead fearful and upset about things. Um, So, again, instead of asking Jesus to stay and and learning from him, they're they're trying to force him out. Um, So, as we continue finishing out the little section here in 18 through 20, um, it says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So we have the sad verse in verse 17, and then we have this incredible transformation that occurs. And this story is really about this man here who was hopeless, right? He was completely lost, um, no hope of being rescued, filled with 6,000 demons in his mind is what he feels like. And then Jesus shows up, casts them out, and he's now fully restored, okay? And the, the amazing part of this is that he, he wants to follow Jesus, Right? That's his response. That's what your response should be when you see this. Right? Create that sort of parallel in your mind between the herdsman who saw this miracle and this man who obviously lived this miracle. But he wants to follow Jesus because why would you not? Right? Same with the disciples. They saw him calm this storm and now they see this and they want to follow Jesus. Um, and this man wants to go, but Jesus stops him. And at first, I thought that was very strange, because why would he stop someone from following him? And what does he say here? He says, as he was getting the boat, uh, he wanted to follow, and then he did not permit him, because he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done to you. And then it says he actually did that. He went away. Um, I I titled this kind of unlikely missionary, so I kind of gave away a portion of it, but this is actually the very first missionary. I want you to pause and think about that for a second. This is the very first recorded missionary in Scripture. Is a man who had 6,000 demons inside of him. And then Jesus sends him away. Where does he send him away? To Gentiles. To Greeks, Romans, Decapolis. That's where he sent him. And so when you think about that for a minute, you see there was a plan all along for them to cross the Sea of Galilee at night to encounter this man It wasn't a coincidence, this was the plan. And it set in motion the beginning of what was going to happen later on, which is the gospel was going to spread. And so he starts with this man and sends him away to tell his friends and his family how much Jesus had done for him. And that's a beautiful thing. And I I title this Unlikely Missionary because if you were drafting a fantasy team, let's say, or if you were thinking about it strategically, you don't start with a man who has 6,000 demons. That's not your number one pick. In my mind, that would never be a pick, right? Oh, I'm going to start my church with a man who's possessed by demons. But you see, God thinks differently from us. Praise God he does, right? And he thinks differently, and he's got a mission that no one can thwart. There is a plan in place here that no one can get in the way of. You see this authority 
saw it at, the, at Mark 4 with calming the storm, and then we see it in this encounter here. Um, so, like I said, the man, he, he wanted to go with Jesus, but Jesus sends him on this mission. Um, and, and I can't believe, like, I couldn't even imagine how, his test, how powerful that testimony is, right? Everybody, it seems like the way the story is told is that everybody knows about this guy, that he was this man that was crazy, that was super strong, couldn't be controlled, and yet now he's in his right mind proclaiming this man who healed him. So that is a powerful testimony there. I can't imagine hearing him talk about it. That would be beautiful. Um, so he, he leaves, he's amazed, like I said, but, uh, but let's not forget about these herdsmen that are so angry at God that they just want to send him away. I, I, my prayer is that we don't look at people that way or we don't feel that way when things happen. You never want to be that angry person. A while back I talked about Jonah, where he's this prophet who didn't want to see people repent. Right? And he only cared about you know, seeing destruction, things like that. As believers, we need to make sure that we're not in that camp. We want to make sure that this is our prayer for everyone, that we want to see people turn and repent. Um, I, when I looked at this story, I, I happened to encounter, uh, there's this video series called I Am Second. Is anybody familiar with it? Show of hands. No? A little? Okay. What it is, is it's, it's somewhat famous people, right, or somehow influential people, and it's called I Am Second because they're talking about how important Jesus is in their life. So they're second to him. And one of those video series I was blown away with, uh, it, when you first see this person and you, you look at them, you would think there's no way they're a believer. Right? This guy has super long hair. He's a white guy, super long hair, dreadlocks, tattoos just covered his entire body on his face, tattoos everywhere. And he's sharing his testimony, right? What he was is he was in a band called Corn. Uh, when I was growing up, they were really big in like the late 90s. Uh, super heavy metal band, um, alternative, I guess. And he was the basis for that. Um, you know, he's sharing his testimony, addicted to drugs, sex, everything. Um, and he was talking about how he was suicidal, and he was very depressed. And he said that his realtor, he was buying some property, and his realtor just looked at him and was like, are you okay? And he told him that he was really struggling and he said his realtor gave him just a Bible verse. He's like, look, I know it's not my place, but it looks like you're struggling. He's like, a verse that's really helped me out is Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That was the verse. And what that sparked in him was this pursuit of Jesus because he was tired. He had all his possessions, everything he could ever want, but he was depressed, suicidal, and it really started his transformation. And again, I'm always amazed by people like this where his realtor thought, this guy needs Jesus. That's what he needs. And it was just a simple verse that he spoke to him, right? Very simple. We all can memorize that verse and how powerful that was because it was right what he needed to hear at that time, right? So I challenge people to be observant to all people because if you saw this person, I guarantee you, you would write him off you would immediately not think that they're a Christian, right? Or that they, but sadly, what would happen is you would almost write them off as if they don't need it either. Um, and, and I know that's what I would do, you know, years back, that's what I was doing to people. I was writing them off and not really seeing the, the need for Jesus there. Uh, but this guy did not, his realtor, praise God, and I'm just always blown away and fascinated by those stories that 
Think about how people who may not look like we typically think Christians should look. Think about what they need to hear in that moment. Um, so this story challenges me with that. Uh, it challenges me because, again, I think the, the overlying theme of, of both these stories here, the calming of the storm and then the healing of the demon possessed man, is how in control Jesus is. He is all-powerful. We are to marvel at that, that everything is controlled by him. By a word, he could change the circumstances. Right? With this man, he could cast out these demons, and they have to ask him for permission. That is control and authority like we've never seen before. So that is the number one thing we need to take away from this passage. But the number two is challenging us to really think about people like that who are so far away from God. How can we minister to them? How can we speak to them or pray for them? Uh, it's a real challenge there because this is an unlikely missionary. Okay? It's not who I would have picked. It's not who you would have picked ever. Um, but it's who God picked in that moment. Uh, so I'm challenged by that. And then, you know, we look at what God is able to do in any circumstance. I think that's another takeaway from this. Any place, his mission will not be thwarted. Okay? It, will not, it will not be stopped by anyone. So if he is calling you to do something, you can be confident in that hope that he has called you to. Because again, he is in control. You know, and, and I think about sometimes with church planning or, or building a church, it gets kind of frustrating because you feel like things aren't happening the way you would do it. But you've got to understand that, that Jesus is in control of this. Everything happens according to his will. And you cannot be frustrated by that because it's on his time. Okay? And so as you're building this church, with, well, as Jesus is building this church, but um, as that's happening, it's important to understand the control. Okay? Someone else is in control of this, and as long as you are faithful to what he has called you to, um, nothing's going to stop that mission. Okay? Um, so this was a really short message. Um, like I said, I, I, you guys will get some time back to really fellowship here. I'm going to close out in prayer. Um, it, like I said, it's always an honor to come here and speak, uh, so I really appreciate this time, but I'll pray for us, okay? Um, Father, we just thank you so much for your power and authority, uh, that there is an enemy here that is trying to thwart you, but that there's nothing that can stop you. Uh, we praise you for that. I pray that in my life that I would remember that any circumstance you have the power to um, be in fully control of, um, and I pray to be faithful with what you've called me to do. I pray to be faithful to your word. I pray not to be afraid to speak your truth to people because it is powerful. Um, and so we thank you for that honor that we get to have to proclaim this to others and for the responsibility. I pray that I would be faithful in that. Um, pray as people walk away that they would um, be encouraged and uh, be challenged to really think about others that are not in this bubble that we live in, but are outside of it, and how we can, how we can serve them and how we can minister to them, Father. And so I just praise you, and we thank you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.